Doesn't take much, does it? Um, two things. One, what the video didn't show was on the, I think that we were there on a Saturday, on the Friday night, uh, Pastor Altaz had uh, on the dining room table set the table with all the plates and cutlery and gathered his orphans around the table and there was no food. And he said, Grace, he said, thank you that you will provide. And then the next day, this is what happened. The second thing that's interesting about this is that it was spontaneous giving. People just reached in their pockets, gave what extra that they had, and it was no big deal. It wasn't a big campaign. It was just you responding spontaneously out of the extra, the extra that you had in your wallet. And it fed a lot of orphans for a couple of months. Mark Twain said, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness. Kindness is the language that is universal. And people understand. And people are valued because they experience something that words cannot express. And the provision of food left an indelible mark on the orphans. I believe it would have increased their faith to believe that God knew about their plight and he answered the prayer of their leader, of their, their pastor, and it in turn had a profound impact on our family. And indeed, when we returned home and told the story, it had an equal impact on you. And the story still has impact on people who see it, see it today. And again, this was not planned giving. It was just here. Here's what I have in my pocket and use it. And so I say thank you. And I say that excess was the fuel of a miracle. It was spontaneous generosity. And the image of my son and Pastor Eltez and a few of the older boys hauling the rice into the storage room with joy has never left me. And I understand what simple acts of kindness can do not only for those who receive it, but for those who give it and for those who witness this. And every time I think about this, I feel joy all over again. And yes, miracles are made out of the simple things that we do, the simple acts of kindness. And we must pay attention to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit whispers to us, give, do that, be kind, Return good instead of evil. When we hear those whispers of the Holy Spirit and we respond to those prompts, God uses our kindness in ways that we will never understand. And I think most people in this room want their life to count. We want to leave a legacy. And as a pastor, I've heard on more than one occasion, I've heard people say, 
I wish I had a million dollars that I could be so generous. And I want you to know, it doesn't take a million dollars. It takes a heart that is willing to do something small in order that something great can happen in the lives of people. During this series, I want to dispel several misconceptions that we have about generosity and about impact. There are some cultural myths that people adopt. And one is that people begin to be generous when they're rich. Have you heard that one? When they're rich, then you'll be generous. You know what I find? In fact, I'm going to tell a story that Jesus told that dispels this myth. Actually, when you look at the numbers, actually people who have less seem to be more generous than those who are rich. And so we're going to look at this myth and dispel this myth because every last one of us can be generous. Secondly, it takes a pile of money to be generous. This video dispels that. It took just a few dollars out of a few pockets. And the third myth is, we are not rich. Oh, friends, when I go to places like Haiti, and I've been in other countries, third world countries, I mean, I'm a pastor on a minister's salary, and I'm rich. I'm rich compared to the rest of the world. And we're going to look at these cultural myths and dispel them and understand that God wants to work miracles through people like you and me, ordinary people that God uses. So we'll dispel these myths and misconceptions. And I want us to, to experience the joy of creating miracles for those who are trying to make a difference. And together, we will be part of a noble cause for other people. Now, one of the most compelling arguments for the Christian faith is the simple fact that it survived. 2,000 years later, there are 2.2 billion uh, Christians around the world. The odds against Christianity were incredible. If you look at the typical building blocks that result in longevity of a movement, Christianity has none of them. The longest enduring movements throughout history were political interests backed by military might or social efforts fueled by the power of the people. Some movements had superior weapons. Others had powerful unions. Even peaceful protests that we know of succeeded because they appealed to the sympathies of the masses and resulted in political power. How many of us remember the images of Tiananmen Square? A university student made a powerful statement. Or remember when Reagan went on national television and said, Gorbachev, tear down the wall, and it changed the world. Even recently, the Me Too movement has created a social movement where women are heard and those who are sexually abused are being heard, and it's turning the tide. Powerful, powerful movements. 
the first century Christians weren't organized. Had they, they had no buildings. They weren't recognized by the government. There were no sympathies of those in the culture. In everyday society, they were basically considered a cult. For nearly three centuries, they remained utterly powerless. They were ostracized socially, persecuted politically, and tortured physically. In the Roman Colosseums, the, the uh, entertainment of the day wasn't the rioters winning last night. It was Christians being hauled into the Colosseum and lions being set free and they were mauled to death to the cheers of the crowds. Yet somehow, this movement of Christianity continued to grow. And how do you explain that? A number of historians have dedicated their careers to understanding how Christianity could not only survive, but thrive. There are really smart people like Karen Armstrong, who Karen is a double nun. She was a Catholic nun at one time and then recanted, and now she's none. She's not associated with any religious body, but still believes in God, and writes extensively about various religions. And on the topic of Christianity, her conclusions are nothing short of remarkable. She and other people have said this. Christianity had none of the conventional strengths required to start a movement. Its appeal and influence can be traced to an unexpected source, generosity. Generosity. Christians being kind, even though they were being ostracized and persecuted and marginalized in culture. The hallmark of the Christians of the first century was not their wealth. They had none. It was not what they believed. Their theology was regarded weird, and religious people could not understand them. What gave them leverage was their inexplicable compassion and generosity. They had little, but they gave what they had. They received little compassion, but were willing to extend what they had to the people around them. And they were hard to ignore. I cannot overemphasize what a monumental shift this was for the people of Jesus' time. The Greek and Roman eras were different from today. There was no social justice. The guiding principle of how to treat other people was not like our Western world. The rule of thumb of courtesy and etiquette and decency was summed up in a Latin word called liberalitas. It meant you gave in order to get something back. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. The whole idea of generosity in that culture was to find someone who could do something for you and do something for them first so they would owe you. That's how it all worked. Now, we don't understand this because, for the most part, we know about sacrifice. It is the call of duty of the public service and it is the benchmark by which we measure th such things as honor, integrity, faithfulness. 
We honor people who have sacrificed something for our benefit that we enjoy today. We celebrate freedom and religious freedom. We, we celebrate things like Remembrance Day and wear a poppy every year to say thank you to those who sacrificed their life so we could enjoy the freedoms that we have today. Democracy, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association. In essence, Christianity birthed the idea of social justice. Now, one such story that survived antiquity records the saga of a man named Pacomius. Pacomius was 20 years old when the Romans took over the town of Thebes where he lived. You recall from history, Rome was expanding their empire and they'd conquer city after city and state after state. And they would take the, the kids that were able to fight in the army and hold them captive and, and train them to be part of their fighting regime. Pacamonius's parents were both pagans. But when the Romans came, his life changed forever. Those that the Romans thought would escape from uh, being drafted in the army were contained within prison. And Pacamonius was placed in prison. And everyone in the prison began to starve because there was a famine in the land at that time. Pacamonius documents that strangers showed up at night and they slipped food in between the bars of the prison. Night after night, these mysterious people came back and as a result, Pacomius and his friends survived this horrible famine. When it was over, Pacomius began to ask questions. Like, who were these people? Where did they come from? Why were they feeding us? And the answer to those questions bewildered him. The strangers were members of a group known as the followers of the way. They were Galileans, or known today as Christians. Pacomius sought out these weird people, and he too became a follower of Jesus. Everywhere that Christians went, they were known they were known for their generosity. You look at the book of Acts in the second chapter, and it says that they began to share their resources with one another. And those who had need were given. People would sell their property so that they could give to the poor. And those on the outside would look in and say, I want into that community, that community of generosity. It seems to be so different in our experience, isn't it? The atheist Richard Dawkins spoke to crowds at any university in America about his problems with Christians, pointing out the problems. And actually, what he was pointing out was true. And crowds would cheer to their delight. We're not that well-liked among the outside. We are known as a big mouth against something. And why are we not known for something that is positive? We should be known as the most generous people in the world. 
We currently have a reputation for being stingy. Ask any waiter or waitress on a Sunday that works in a restaurant when the church crowd comes in. It is not positive what they say about us. We're stingy with the tips. We're grouchy. We're demanding. Uh, not from this place, right? Other churches. You know, and, and then there are some Christians, you would never do this. Instead of leaving a cash tip, they leave a tract that says, here's a tip for you, and they open it up and it's the gospel. Who does that? It actually uh, inoculates people from receiving the gospel. Who would want to join a group that, that's, that is that stingy? I was sitting with one Christian once in I took up the bill and paid the tip and he said, How much what percentage do you give? And I, and I told him, and he said, Boy, that's extravagant. And I said, No. No, I want to be known as someone who's generous. I want my witness to be in not just in word, but in deed. And Christians have a lot of work to do to change our reputation. So, even some Christians are not all that generous with their resources. On average, some Christians only give 2.2%, 2.2% of their income to charity. 2.2%. <laughs> oh my goodness. In the Great Depression, they actually gave more of a percentage. They gave 33 you would think it would be the reverse. The more blessed we are, the more we give. But it's actually the reverse. Now Jesus, Jesus walked into this first century culture and, and he announced that his kingdom, his kingdom would be different. It would be based on the kindness economy. In Jesus' kingdom, people would lend knowing that they would never get anything back. You would do for others what they could not do for you in return. He even said, love your enemies. Be kind to them. Do good for them. And Jesus said, when you show kindness like that, your reward will be great. And then you will be children of the Most High, Jesus said. And after all, God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And He expects that we reflect His kind generosity and expect nothing in return. And he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing unto me. And so he said, this is the standard of my, my new kingdom, my new economy. And Luke chapter 10, getting at verse 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm sure this lawyer had an opinion on that particular subject. He was well-schooled in Jewish culture and, and religion by the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. 
Now here's the hard part. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he was looking for a loophole in this whole discussion. And don't we all look for loopholes? Like, it's not just this lawyer. We kind of all look for loopholes. We know what's required of us, but we want to, you know, just get close to the line or just close to the minimum. And so he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Oh, man, he opened the door. And Jesus clarifies its kindness and its counterculture. And so... To answer the question, Jesus invented this story about the Samaritan who, because of his race, would have been considered contemptible by Jesus' audience. And the Samaritan in Jesus' story stopped to help a non-Samaritan man who had been beaten and robbed. And under normal circumstances, these two people would never meet and they would never talk to each other and have nothing to do with one another. They were culturally incompatible. And Jesus picked these characters on purpose. And Jesus did, as, as he told the story, the audience leaned into what uh, would happen. Would the Samaritan really help a non-Samaritan? Would the non-Samaritan even accept help from a Samaritan? And Jesus made the point, this is what it means to be a neighbor. You do kind, and kind acts and you show grace to people who are least like you. And you adopt them as neighbors. Even that neighbor that has the barking dog at night. You're kind to that guy. You love him. And Jesus didn't stop there with this story. One night he gathered his closest followers for his final meal together. And Jesus was the leader. The most powerful person in the room. He was the head of this growing movement. And what's more, he stood up and he announced that he had been given complete and entire authority over the world. And rather than commanding them to bow to, the, to him, he did something completely unexpected. He got down on the floor and he took off the sandals of his disciples and he washed every last one of their feet. And then he explained the rules that would be different in his kingdom. And in John 13, it picks up the story in verse 12. When he had finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And his disciples understood this. They'd witnessed Jesus' nature, uh, authority over nature. He calmed the storm. He, he walked on water. They'd seen his power over diseases. They healed the lame man, the blind, and the leper. And not, not only that, they saw Jesus' power over evil. Jesus cast demonic spirits out of, out of people. Those who were previously insane returned to their right mind. In the midst of Jesus' power, he blatantly taught that he was the Son of God. And so much so that religious leaders felt that Jesus was blasphemous. And so the disciples are nodding their head and saying, yes, you're Lord. They agreed. And so Jesus continues. And he says, 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, now that I've done this, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. <laughs> I mean, they were on the ground floor of this movement. They had expectations. Look, I should get an expense account. The corporate jet. Like, I should be treated like royalty because I'm on the ground level of this thing. And you're telling me I've got to serve and be kind and generous? And Jesus said, Verily, truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will bless if you do them. How many here want to be blessed? Yeah, me too. Hey, that's a movement. And Jesus would say, blessing and happiness and reward comes to those who follow the rules of the kingdom of God. The generous are happy. And just like the first century, where the kingdom of God flourished and spread like wildfire, we are to serve and be generous so the kingdom of Jesus will spread and Christianity will spread, not because of the message, but because of your kindness. Remember, the first Christians did not have a Bible as we had it. They weren't walking around saying, the Bible says, and here's the doctrine, and here's the statement of faith. They didn't have a Bible for 288 years. The message of Jesus went out because they lived like Jesus lived. And they were kind, and they were generous. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear. And the blind can see. So in the next weeks, I want to convince us of our wealth that we possess. And I want us to experience the joy of being generous. And I want us to see the reaction of those who will benefit from our generosity. This morning, I've asked Shelley Federal to come up on the platform. Shelley works at W.P. Bates School which is uh, an inner-city school. And Shelley, what is your role at uh, W.P. Bates? Okay, I'm called the Community School Coordinator. And to understand that, it actually many people call me the school mom. Okay. <laughs> so if that means anything to anybody. So uh, my role is to help remove barriers to the learning, okay. I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, like, nutrition, for example. I write for grants and things and ask for um, resources so that we can have a nutrition program. We have a breakfast and lunch program and a morning snack program. And, you know, whether it means getting kids to extracurricular or giving them opportunities to have other, um, you know, learnings, uh, social, cultural, mm -hmm. sport, uh, all those kinds of things. And a lot of it's uh, kind of basic needs as well. Okay, what, what are the challenges that you face? Why do you have to set up nutrition and all of these services for, for these kids? So there are a few community school coordinated roles in the city and they're attached with schools who 
have a demographic where there has increased poverty. So many of our students live with poverty and all that that entails. And I mean, we see this film on hate, I mean, very compelling and moving. And of course, it was very emotional for me to watch, it was lovely. But believe it or not, in our city here, even with, you know, child tax credits and government this and, you know, people, I don't think they really understand or see the effects of intergenerational poverty, of systemic racism, yeah. all kinds of things in our society, right here in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. And so we do have children who are vulnerable, who don't have control over things. Maybe their adult, the adults in their lives have, you know, mental health issues. We have many kids in our school. Uh, it used to be about 52% last year that we had were fr newcomers and mm -hmm. refugees especially. So we have lots of students who are not just uh, immigrants, but they are refugees. So that has a host of different you know, situations that apply uh, to it. Absolutely. They yeah. leave their country with yeah. nothing right. at all. Yeah. And there's trauma. And then mm -hmm. we have about, so that was last year. I think it's, a l it's shifting a little bit, but we still have a high percentage of newcomer students in our, in our school, which is high 40%. And we have about, it was anywhere from 37 to 43% are Indigenous students. Okay. So, yeah. So there are a wide variety of, yeah. of kids that mm -hmm. are vulnerable and mm -hmm. in poverty for different reasons. Right. In our kids' ministry, we teach to be generous, mm -hmm. to take a portion of their allowance and give it in order to help other people. And we did that in Kids Capers Camp as well. We asked uh, kids to bring socks so that we could give them to them in, at Christmas time, right? Yes. And these, this is just a gesture of uh, kindness to these kids, mm -hmm. and it teaches our kids to be uh, to share and be generous. And so some of our uh, uh, kids' capers camp people brought socks, and this is Shanna and Brianna. <laughs> and uh, tell us who you are. Uh, my name's Shanna Friesen. I work in kids' ministry with Cindy and as well as the preschool, and I was helping out at camp this year. I'm Brianna, and I worked at kids' capers this year, and I volunteer. And that's wonderful. We need to thank kids like this mm -hmm. who give up portions of their summer to help with our camps and, and volunteer back there in the kids' zone. So we thank you. And so you have a load of socks. Those look lovely. 575 pairs of socks. <laughs> Amazing. <Isn't that> great? <laughs> <laughs> Shelly, what will this mean? Well, I was telling Pastor Eldon about a story about a grade 8 student today. And this just gives you a little capsulizer. So we had some Christmas socks to give away a year ago from generous people like yourselves. And um, this one boy whom I was quite involved in his family, so grade 8, you know, grade 8. But he had one set of clothing he wore to school every day that he felt good in that were kind of cool and stuff. So he so it says he wore it every day, all year long. And... He got a pair of socks, and I noticed he was wearing these socks after Christmas and into January, February. And he said, I said, hey, I noticed you like those socks. He goes, these are really cool socks, Miss Phaedra, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's just that little thing, like that boy felt good about having a clean and dry pair of socks and without holes. And even, he wore it all the time because he liked those socks because they were just not your different, like, stretched out, mm -hmm. stained, whatever sock that he had. So it just really, it gave, 
you, if you can think about those kids, they just lift their head up a little higher. And if you have something that's dry, because lots of them wear bare feet, mm -hmm. and in their boots and things. So this is just a very practical, loving way to yeah. show your generosity and your kindness. Thank you to the Kidscaper kids, and thank you, Shelley, for your role in the school. Bless you. <laughs> Friends, generosity changes everything. And that little boy, that little boy who wore some socks all year long knew that there were some people out there that he mattered to. And if he's like Pocamias, he might investigate someday who were those weird people that gave me those socks. And he might come to know the Jesus that we love here. So over the next weeks, we're going to talk about the way in which we can impact Saskatoon and how we can be generous there and how we can extend our influence and we can leave a legacy. And would you stand with me? And I hope you invite a friend to be part of next Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday. Just a reminder that Common Gro Ground will be closed today, and, and in fact, until November the 18th. We're redoing the kitchen, but today in particular because there's the annual, annual general members meeting. So please, uh, those members who have registered, be part of that meeting. Thank you for coming today. May God bless you as you go. May you be kind to all you meet. You never know what your act of kindness will do in the lives of people. If there's something that uh, meant something you, to you today and you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, there'll be people here at the front to talk with and pray with you. Have a great week.